Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, a great conversation with Kari Andrews. He's back because he has a brand new creator-owned comic book, his first, called Renato Jones, The 1%. It comes out Wednesday through Image, and it's a great high-octane adventure, as they like to call uh, some of the action-adventure uh, stories. Uh, there are elements of James Bond in here. There are elements of Batman, a very recognizable anti-hero whose motivations are very different. And it's self-evident in the title, The 1%. But Kari talks about that. He talks a lot about his creative process. I really think uh, we talk a lot of, as he puts it, inside baseball. But I really think gives some really valuable information in terms of why certain image books work. And um, I, I thought it was great. And also um, really inspirational words uh, for people who find writer's block or life gets in the way of your creative ambitions. And Kari has a great perspective on how to, to uh, you know, not let those things get in the way and, and gives a, a perspective that I think people can relate to, appreciate, and learn from. So, great conversation with him. Of course, we talk TV and movies as well because Kari's uh, other career has been uh, making movies. He's uh, making the transition to directing television, and we talk about that and get his thoughts on uh, some of the last uh, movies and television shows of late. So a really fun, all-encompassing conversation with Kari. It is our only guest on Word Balloon, and I was felt it was that kind of conversation that deserves uh, the full treatment and your full attention. So uh, today's show is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support uh, via Patreon. And really even just uh, letting people know that uh, you like Word Balloon, they might like Word Balloon too. But if you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, it's free. It'll always be free. But you can help me out. If you go to wordballoon.com, you can click on the Patreon ad, and it'll explain, uh, you know, just subscribing to Word Balloon. And, you know, whatever you can spare. If you can spare a dollar a month, that's fantastic. I really appreciate the support. Thank you. It makes it easier to travel to conventions, make the connections, and pr- bring you the kind of conversations like you're going to get tonight uh, with me and Kari. So uh, thank you again. Go to wordballoon.com for more of the information on how you can subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon. Without further ado, I present this great conversation with Kari. Uh, Skype uh, connection was okay. My microphone level was a little low. I apologize. But you can hear me well enough. And the more important thing is you'll hear Kari's great words. Uh, Talking about Renato Jones, uh, the experience of working on Iron Fist, and uh, his thoughts on the Netflix Iron Fist TV show, and a whole lot more. Really enjoyed this conversation. I present it now on Word Balloon. I enjoyed Renato Jones, and I'm excited to talk about it. Oh, good. good. Absolutely, man. No, it's a good story. Good stuff, good start, good mysteries. Good letter page. I'm impressed with the letter page. <laughs> the letters page was fun because it was like, you know, it's your first issue, and uh, I always wanted a letters page, but what do you do? You either send advanced copies to people and get – I mean, that's what I did, but I thought, sure. oh, well, they may as well be like cool friends of mine. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, you that's know, going. Absolutely. Some, you oh, know, if it, you want, are we on the record? Can we start? Sure. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Sure. All right. Good. Because sure. I've said nothing but positive things, and let me now introduce <laughs> Kari Andrews to Word Balloon. Welcome back, Kari. Good to talk to you, man. Hey, it's uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Congratulations, man. Renato Jones. Excellent first issue. Uh, what is the full title? The full title is Renato Jones, uh, the one percent. Now, the one percent is actually the story or the arc title. I kind of uh, figured. So, Go ahead. Yeah. There were, you know, there was some uh, trademark issues with the one percent that came up, so. And as a compromise, um, I took the title uh, a 
Tom's my main character, Renato Jones, and then and then the story arc uh, has become the one percent. So the next story arc would be like Renato Jones, uh, the Pie Man, or whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever sure. No, exactly. The whatever Temple of Doom. Exactly. No, that's exactly. good, man. Exactly. That's good. That's because obviously, and certainly from the cover, there's kind of a Bond sort of quality, uh, and also oh, yeah. really the yeah. storytelling throughout. I think this very much could be like a lush spy thriller. It is a thriller. There isn't a, there is a, a good guy and a bad guy, or at least a anti-hero, if not a full-fledged hero. Uh, yeah, James, James Bond is a is a big influence on the character in a weird in a weird way. You know, I love that kind of uh, storytelling and the sense of scale. And you know, he's always surrounded by money and wealth and power. And you know, he's he's he is ne- never you know he's always kind of sleuthing around and being someone else. And you know, has his 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 gear to battle uh, these wealthy powerful people so yeah it's it's, it's definitely a little bit of bond in in Rilla jones and there's another recognizable hero in there as well i mean there's there's almost a different path for the and and really there it, it's not just the the obvious choice here there are plenty of of what start as in appearance wealthy you know in billionaire however he got his money uh, that decides to fight crime in a certain way. And obviously from the title, there's a very specific agenda, uh, at least on the surface, for Renato Jones. Yeah, no, there's a few there's a few touchstone characters, of course. You know, I mean you I don't think you can create a character without referencing Batman in one sense or another there because he's he's one of the you know he's one of the touchstones. And really that was a character on my mind when I was creating Renato Jones because I was looking for, you know, I kind of had an idea of who the character was and, and, but I didn't quite know who he would, who he would face in today's world. Like, you know, I, I, cause in Batman's day when he was created, he was basically a, a billionaire child, a billionaire son to billionaire parents who were killed by a poor street thug, you know, probably just looking to feed his family or like has some addiction issues or whatever. And so Batman in his time really didn't declare war on crime, right? He declared war on a uh, uh, class. It was really class warfare back interesting. then. Oh, it's an interesting take. And I just couldn't bring myself to create a hero that would chase down um, impoverished criminals or even like, you know, b- low middle class criminals, like trying to make a living, like robbing a bank or two, you know, it's sure. such low stakes in, in today's world. And so it was always going to be um, either corporate crime or, or, or money and, and uh, it just, it just, the more I developed the, the story, it just seemed like, oh, this is, it's more fun to target people instead of corporations. Because corporations, you know, that's an interesting avenue as well, because uh, it's a revolving door of faces to lead the corporation to another, to another phase. But it just felt, felt like, oh, you know, rich people uh, <laughs> in today's world, the, the gap is widening between the poor and the rich. And if Absolutely. you were tr- an evil person, it wouldn't take much to to escape uh, prosecution with just having money and and if you have money and if that's your armor like who can who can take you down well it would have to be someone who also um had wealth and power and it would also have to be someone maybe who didn't have wealth and power to and and Ronaldo Jones is both he's mm-hmm. both someone who has what they have and he's and he's also someone that doesn't have what they have so it kind of like it just all started, you know, you know how ideas work. They just kind of like Picasso says he doesn't know how to draw. He doesn't know what he's going to draw until he's drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I that's kind of how I work. So 
I just brainstorm images and words and free associate until I fill up a sketchbook and then, and then it just kind of, you know, problems solve themselves and solutions come about and, you know, you get a lot of clarity and you hit this tipping point and then you just go. That's kind of what happened. Do you think this is something, I mean, we've been talking about the 1% in our society for, you know, the last five or six years in particular, and even in your uh, first letters column, was a Warren Ellis that referenced Occupy Wall Street? Yeah, I, I didn't have that in mind, but I thought that was really funny. Uh, yeah. yeah, Warren Ellis, I threw it on my, actually threw it on the cover of, of the print version. I don't, I don't know if you've seen that version, but the quote is, um, a sort of hallucinatory rage pop punisher from Occupy. It's gorgeous and also demented for more analysis. So I thought that was cool. I mean, I didn't real, I didn't particularly have that on my mind per se. But you know, I live in Vancouver, one of the most expensive cities in the world, and our our, our the cost of houses in the city has tripled um, from the time, maybe more from the time I've lived here. It's uh, all the the average house price has raised fifty percent in the past uh, three years. Like it's our average cost of our average home in in Vancouver is like. It's like a million or two million dollars. It's really crazy. Like wow. it's super. It's super crazy. Like the average the average house when you look at the um, income per um, house, it's mm-hmm. the average uh, house. Whatever you call it, the uh, mortgage or whatever is one hundred nine percent of a of a family's income in Vancouver. Wow. <laughs> it's like un- totally unaffordable. Totally unaffordable to live here. So you know, I have that. You know, that's where I live, and uh, it's only become more so, especially with the you know the the uh, the election down where you live. Uh, having having Trump uh, run has really, in a weirdly, crystallized. I think this kind of sense of money. You know, he's not the absolutely. first. He's not the first person to have money to run. They're they're all wealthy generally. Ross Perot, yeah. absolutely. Well, yeah, Ross, certainly. Exactly, yeah, the, yeah. Bush, the Bushes certainly, absolutely. Yeah, Scott I mean, Bush. yeah. even any any minor player still has. You know, is still a multimillionaire. Certainly, least. Lamar Alexander from years ago. I mean, you sure. know, it's, and of course, you're, that's what I love. You're of course, you know, explaining all the uh, the Canadian uh, points of like how much it costs to live in Vancouver. And as usual, dumb dumb American from the '48 and stuff. Yeah, we pretty much know uh, from California to New York and uh, you know uh, <laughs> Texas to uh, Michigan. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's all well, I got. So I appreciate the education about Vancouver. <laughs> seriously, but don't go it's, on, please. Yeah, it's, it's too expensive. Um, uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, it just it just felt like oh, it just felt like oh, this is the setting. This is the world. You know, it's like people who have money and people who don't, mm-hmm. and it's fun. Like I love James Bond. I love I love th- those kind of stories, and so it's fun to have a character who. Uh, drives gold Lamborghinis and like, yes. you know, lives in that world, but is also hunting those people. So it's like you know, it's a way for the myself and the audience to kind of enjoy both. You know, enjoy that kind of crazy lifestyle, but also enjoy you know uh, dishing out some restitution to the evil that hides behind that that wealthy lifestyle. I think people will read the first issue and decide. Okay, that was the great thing is there really is a full adventure here. And you can stop here if if you so choose and feel like, all right, that was actually really cool. And but obviously you want the door is open and you obviously want people to go through it. And I suggest they do because beyond the initial incident that is taken care of, obviously there's a larger problem and a lot of mysteries to and questions to be answered should you choose to follow, and that's good. And that's why, honestly, I, I, the compliment that's buried in there is <laughs> it's a great it's a great first issue because it really lays out what it's going to be with enough mystery to, I think, entice people to continue. 
Yeah, like it's really turned out to be um, you could take that first issue as a, as a one shot, really. Mm-hmm. Yes. It could just exist exist on its own and just be a thing and just go away forever. And, and it, it, have, it was a cool little tale. But I don't know. I just wanted that first issue to be like it's thick, right? It's like twice the size of a normal issue. And That's it's just, very true. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Please. It's heavy. Like when you hold it in your hands, it's like it's got heft to it. And, you know, it's like for me, it's like I wanted that first issue to be kind of a complete experience um, before or that kicks off the largest tale. So it's, you know, it's the story of Renato Jones on a micro level that then kicks into events um, the, the larger story, which picks up an issue, too. So. Issue one uh, is directly tied to issue two, and and without issue one, you don't get to issue two. But issue one is a is a complete uh, experience on its own, and then it only gets it only gets crazier in issue two. So I don't know. It's I think it's pretty it's pretty fun. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll we'll see what people what people think. No, absolutely. It's 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 very very cool. I also love the ads that you popped in uh, in between the story as well, and I love that all you guys are doing this with Image too is really taking advantage of the image format and beyond the story, just finding fun ways to flesh out the world and do it in things like the, the, the ads that are, you know, at least, and again, cause you gave me a PDF is the, and forgive me. Cause I really, I've been so busy with the day job and a couple other things that I haven't been to the store in a week or so. Is it coming out this Wednesday or has it already come out? Uh, May 4th. Okay. There's it is this a, Wednesday. Very good. The disturbance in, in the 4th. Okay, because uh, yeah, really, no, as you because as you described the heft of it, you gave me a digital copy. So yeah, I'm like, yeah, my Kindle totally. still feels the same, but I appreciate that. That's good. I got I, I got my comp <laughs> cop, I got my comp copies from FedEx just just last week, and it okay. was, you know, they're heavy. They're heavy issues. And, uh, and, and I got what, how much is the first issue? Uh, Three ninety nine. Okay, and that's so. And honestly, it is. It's twice the size of a normal book, and I'm glad you said that because it is. Twice the size normal book, and it's the same price as a, as a regular twenty page story from from Marvel or DC. So yeah. that was important to me to like, you know, it probably if I was a smarter man, I would just do a twenty page tale and just you know get get something out there. But I really wanted something, you know, it's an important milestone for me to do this book, and I wanted um, something that felt important, at least in terms of like content and length, and you know. You hold it in your hands and it just feels like, wow, this feels like a magazine or something like that. It doesn't feel like a comic book. It feels heavier. Well, plus the competition that's out there. I mean, that's I've been saying this for years. This is the challenge that you guys all have when you do create your own stuff is uh, it's got to be better than the DC or Marvel first issue 20 page experience. And it has to have more story. And it really does have to like be like, no, you can't wait for your I mean, you can have an interesting a turn as I'm sure this will have as the story of Renato continues to unfold because there are a lot of mysteries about his past that you're given clues to in the first issue, but clearly more is coming. And also a couple uh, characters are introduced at the very end that, you know, don't have much to do with this one initial incident or at least seeming so. All that said, you've got to provide that kind of big punch with issue one. Otherwise, why would you know? I mean, you really have to lay it out and let people decide because it is. It's this kind of commitment. How long of a story? How long will the first story be? The one percent story. Uh, six issues. Okay. And each each issue, um, you know, I kind of scale down the page count a little bit after this Certainly. big double size one. But uh, every issue I've, I've been doing is um, is a little larger than normal, a little bigger than normal. So it'll be a hefty trade when it comes cool. out. But yeah, it was. A, it, I went back and forth on that too. Um, 
trying to strategically decide, like, should that first issue just be a big question and just be like, hey, here's the most interesting question you've seen in all year. And then you'll have to keep reading to, for me to answer that question. It's kind of the J.J. Abrams you know, mystery box approach. Yes. But I'm, I don't know how you feel, but I'm a little I'm a little burnt out on that kind of storytelling. Like it just I've had so many stories not give me the interesting answers and only give me the interesting questions that for me, I felt like, well, I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to instead of giving you a big question that has to be answered, I'm going to give you as if it's a th- as if it's like this is the thesis statement to my thesis. This is the like this is the story condensed like this this is the world and the, and the character and and the situation the and the you know mm-hmm. and the and then the larger series is like that same pattern but like escalated a thousand percent sure we learn more yeah we learn more as we go but these are the parameters this is the hero this is what he's trying to accomplish and we see him accomplish yeah. a goal in this first issue so yeah no that's i think that's smart and yeah because you know, I mean, I just remember, and I'm not even trying to pick on him, but when Kevin Smith wrote Green Arrow in that first issue, it was all these people talking about Ollie, and then all of a sudden at the very last page, oh, there he is, and he's all, you know, kind of hoboy looking. And I'm like, yeah, okay, thanks. And I am going to keep reading because I really like your Daredevil run, and I yeah. love Green Arrow. But, yeah, I'm kind of pissed off that I didn't see Green Arrow until the last goddamn page and yeah. barely in action and stuff. It's like, come on, man. So, no, I, I get you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, here's here's what's also just to talk a little inside baseball because I, I know I know yeah, you like is, to. This is the show. I like all that. <laughs> here's here's what's what's different about working on uh, an, an, a book with Image as opposed to Marvel. Like a book with Marvel, that character you work on has a greater presence than any creator that is working on it. So if you are writing or drawing Spider Man, those Spider Man numbers will live or die on that character and maybe you can enhance those numbers but spider-man spider-man and spider-man sells and he's been selling for 60 years yep if, if you if you do a character say of like i don't know iron fist <laughs> that character has you know it kind of has a it has a built-in ceiling or or floor um x-men uh daredevil iron fist fantastic four those characters kind of have numbers that they sell at and depending on this, the cycle of media, like if say, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy hits and then, oh, that book or Rocket Raccoon or whatever has an explosion in sales um, that goes along with it. But generally speaking, I mean, despite a few outliers, generally speaking, it's the character itself that drives those, drives those numbers. And if you have a great team on the book, well, then you're, you're cool. Then people will also enjoy it. There's more reason to buy it. Everyone wins. Um but you kind of like you, you know, it's, it, the true power is in that character. Whoever's writing and drawing Batman at the time, they're still selling Batman numbers. Maybe they can go up. Maybe people love it. But, you know, it's still Batman. Like, and he's been Batman for a long time. Yeah. And when you do an image, image book, these are new characters no one, no one has ever heard of. Uh, and it's just you. And then um, what's interesting is you – is you kind of like fight against those characters in a weird way. Like every store has their resources and everyone has their limits and every, it's all about pre-orders. And so it's, every store is trying to kind of like decipher what your new book could maybe sell. And so it's like, it's always, it's a lot of weird math and a lot of like hustling 
Um, but your, the sales of your books also depend on like what events are going on or what reboots are going on. And, you know, I've, I've kind of like heard as a blanket, sales have kind of been down for um, a lot of uh, non-top two books since December because of, because of event fatigue and like so much product and so much sales. So you're kind of at the, at the mercy and the whim of a lot of factors that are are not in your not in your control. It's it's like a very interesting. It's a very interesting, uh, you know, thing Current to market. think yeah. to try. Yeah, yeah. The market too. It's like so. It's so based on on pre sales. It's so based on pre orders. And so by the time your shop ordered, you know, has their number one in scans, they've already ordered their the first three copies, the first three issues of your series, um, without anyone ever have ever ever read a, a copy or any kind of response to that sure. book. So it's a very strange, you know, it's a very strange system but it's still cool like it's still a really awesome system it's still like i can't think of another industry where you can do this so easily you know like if you're a musician and you want to get into um i mean maybe itunes now but still if you want to get into like the music stores the the uh, on the street mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's harder it's much harder if you want to get into like uh you know a bookstore and you know you just want to do your own book like it's 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 different like comic books is so interesting it's so interesting that it's so small because it's so small it's so kinetic and it's so you can actuate that energy and you have to kind of ride or die by it but it's it's its own thing like it's there's so much potential in comic books that just don't exist in other in other platforms i don't think how much direct marketing did you do to specific stores? Um, well, not not a lot, real to be honest. I mean, okay. you know, kind of. Um, there's the image team uh, that helps you with this stuff. Sure. But well, um, well what you did know, you do to get your your book out? I mean, beyond obviously, you know, it's coming out on Wednesday and everything. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, knowing all those parameters that you just described in the market, what did yeah. you do to make this stand out more? Well, here's what's here's what I'm here's what I say about such an issue market, because um, there is a real thing where a lot of retailers kind of have a, a this 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 is what I've been this is what I've been told. <laughs> I don't know if this is true. Or not. Um, there's like formulas that people go by off of your past sales based on what you're doing in the current sales. And, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was surprised to find that no matter what I did at the end of the day, those sales kind of hit that formula. Like it's Attaboy. a very strange, it's a very That's strange. Great. No, it's great. It's totally great. It's totally good. I'm being supported. It's, it's great. Yeah. But also it's like, you know, it's, it's very, it's like weird. It's weird that there's this formula that kind of informs your actual sales. And it's like, a it, it feels kind of like you need, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Like Saga well, you, didn't you, start with Saga, Saga numbers when it first came out, you know, Saga started off with much lower numbers and now Brian's new books start with Saga numbers. You know, it's like, cause it's, it's the formula. It's like this weird, it's a weird thing that happens, but we're all, you know, the retailers are trying to figure out how much to order. It's, a, it's an expensive there's no returns. Like it's a strange, it's a strange system. Isn't this your first creator-owned book, or have you done other creator-owned books? 
This is my first uh, yeah. actual Kriegerman book. Yeah, yeah, totally. that's what I, was, I mean. Because yeah. no, like as we've talked before and stuff, you know, you've you've been associated with great runs and great events, and you know, I mean, that's the thing. But pretty much, I mean, god damn, I, I forget if you've done any DC. I always think of you as a Marvel creator. I've, I've really only done Marvel stuff. I've done okay. some Wild Wildstorm stuff in the past. When I first broke in, I was doing some Wildstorm and Marvel stuff at the same time. But since then, it's really been like Marvel stuff. Sure. And they'll run off and do a movie or run off and do some TV or, or whatever and, and come back. And um, But mostly, yeah, mostly just Marvel. Okay. So and yeah. so clearly, I mean, and, and I do want to get to Iron Fist, obviously, as well with the Netflix show coming up. I'm interested in your point of view on just all that stuff. And also, ultimately, the 12 issues and how it went for you. But yeah, that's great. So, so is that is that a first component of the formula? What's the what's the rest of it? If you don't mind spilling the uh, secret sauce recipe, that I'm sure every comic <laughs> aspiring writer and artist that's listening is like, go on. <laughs> well, so here, so here, okay, this look, listen. I'm just gonna. This is just what I've been told. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate generally, you sharing. Go. So generally, what happens? Uh, <laughs> a lot of stores will just kind of look at whatever project was your last project. And look at the sales of whatever that last project of the last issue of the last project was. Okay. And then just kind of match that, match that. Like that's kind of that's kind of the formula. That's the simple formula for a store to kind of just like guess what might happen. And so they're buying ten copies of Iron Fist twelve, and because they bought that and they sold out of that, they'll buy ten copies of Renato Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it was really interesting. I was told that, and it felt like oh, that's too simple. Like that doesn't really. That doesn't really make sense to me, you know. Like that doesn't is it really that um, basic? Yeah. It turned out to be that. <laughs> well, <laughs> and then and then if you chase it out, if you chase it out, if you chase out, you say you look at um, say um, uh, Brian K. Vaughn's books or whatever, right? And you look at the it, it matches. It's like oh, the last the last number of Saga matches the first issue of uh, whatever new book he's he's doing at the moment. Sure. It's like oh, that's oh, very I get interesting. It. So it's really, it really it is, is that It's incredibly interesting. I didn't know. I haven't had that kind of conversation with the retailer, and it never occurred to me to have it. So, no, seriously, man, I think well, that no, is listen, really listen, interesting this, information. Thank this you. math, this formula, really did not come from retailers. To me, this was like secondhand information as I'm researching my, what I'm doing, what I'm up to. Um, so I, I don't want to offend any retailers. Uh, maybe they don't. Maybe they have. Maybe they do take more time and weigh a lot of other factors. I don't know, but. <laughs> no, but that sounds this. like a reasonable average. Go on. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's a high-risk system for a retailer, right? Like if you're a Absolutely. retailer, yes. whatever you order becomes non-returnable. And so – and you know the events drive sales at the moment. Uh, so it's very interesting. Like, okay, that's a shorthand that when a reader is scanning a, a previous catalog the size of a phone book every month and just trying to figure out what to order to make their customers happy, it's like I can totally see why that is the case. Uh it's very, it's it's very very interesting very interesting. No, I love it honestly. I think that it is fascinating. I was just at um, the uh, DC Retailer Summit as a proxy to another store who couldn't make it, but because it was in my backyard, like, hey, can you go and ask questions? I'm like, yeah. So and I and it you know I mean there really wasn't any inside baseball that was given that a reader would find useful in any way. But no, it's just, it, it, as you say, it's just everyone is aware of how competitive the market is, both big publishers and obviously the individual creator-owned stuff. And it's, as you say, it's a very, very interesting time. And and I do think, as you say, the flexibility and size of the comic market does make it possible to be a storyteller in a way that it's really hard to try and do 
in the other mediums other than putting your shit up for free on Vimeo or YouTube or whatever. Totally. So. I mean, here's the other weird thing, though, that is I'm dealing with for the first time is that for Renato Jones, I'm getting paid per issue sold, you know, like and sure. that's very interesting for me because I spent so much time as a freelancer and, you know, here you get your page rates and after certain sales numbers, oh, you get some royalties, you get a little bit, of, a little bit extra, you know, a little bit extra. And, uh, you know, you get enough of that. A little bit extra can be very nice. But but for the first time, it really is per issue sold. Like okay. if one store sells five copies of an issue, that is that legitimately affects my income for that issue. Of course. Uh, the other weird thing, though, is because I'm writing, penciling, inking, coloring, doing everything but lettering. And I'm, I was going to ask. Go on. I'm also, I'm also who's uh, working with Jeff, who's, who's a great who, letter. Who's lettering? Jeff Powell and then um, Sebastian Gerner is editing. I hired okay. him to edit. But really, I'm I'm taking home like all the paychecks. So, I mean, and again, this is like I don't, I don't know how inside baseball we want to get, but but you know the amount of money that I can make off of this book is substantially more than work I've done for work for hire. Even if this, even if the sales are 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 at parity, so even if the sales are are the same, I can actually make more money doing a creator own project than if a work for hire project. And it's not like I don't do this for the money, but it's it's just interesting to be like, oh, this is a real thing now. Like before, it was like I just want the sales to be big because I want I want to know people love it and I want to know of people course. are talking about it and want people buying it. But now it's like it's like oh, that sales actually directly affects your your bottom line and like. You know how long that story can go, or how, how much you want to do, or sure. or you know, it's 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 interesting. It's just so interesting to like approach comics from a new perspective, and that was what I was really interested in when I started this process. Was like doing comics forever one way. Like, what's the other way to do it? And this is like the other way. <laughs> the other way to do it. You know, it's it's I I really enjoy it. It's been really cool. It's it's amazing. It's been about seven or six years since I think it was 2008 when Kirkman Robert Kirkman made his manifesto and really kind of said this is what you need to do and at the time I'm one of those guys that's like yeah Robert you but you know you won the lottery congratulations not everyone can run win the lottery and obviously it's becoming more apparent that uh, you can have what would be perceived as a small victory and not have massive Batman sales or or, or Spider Man sales, but as you say, because you're doing the lion's share of work, you are putting it out yourself the way it's set up. Yeah, that no, you don't need that that big of a number to make a good living doing this, and that's great. And I and I do find it interesting and also great to see that so many of you that it is in such a narrow pyramid, and that it does seem that again, it's not a guarantee. And I also know other you know stories of hey man we we had a good book it's just you know we couldn't get the eyeballs oh well you know it helps obviously still having a track record to go by and certainly you know the i'm again imagining the success of iron fist it sounds like you know pre-sales then for uh this first issue renato jones went well yeah it was good it was good i was i was, okay. I was very happy um 
but just you know, I just never had to think about it in that way before. Sure. So it's it's just it's just a new paradigm, and and yeah. just been, it's just very interesting, a very interesting process. Well, and how long is the how long was the ambition to just work? And you likely were one of those kids when you were getting started. Man, if I could work at DC or Marvel, that's gonna be fantastic. I mean, that's the that's the big time. That's well, where you want to go. That's the top of the mountain. Here's what's interesting. I mean, you know, I'm always very goal driven and very competitive and very ambitious, and so I always. Just as you know, I just assumed I would be working for Marvel or DC when I was sure. a kid. I thought, okay. like, like <laughs> before I was paid to draw my first page for a, a, any comic book company, I was like, okay, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> After I break into a top two company, Marvel DC, I'm going to jump back and forth between uh, mainstream superhero work, which I love. I love these characters. I love that deal. I love everything. I'm going to jump back and forth between mainstream superheroes and some kind of creator-owned book. And I'm going to do one and then the other and one and then the other, just like an actor, like just like, a, you know, that kind sure. of an actor that does a big passion. movie and a little movie. Yeah. Passion project. And then the big budget movie. Absolutely. Because it just made sense to me as a young man with big goals and big dreams. And then what what happened instead of that was that after I broke into comic books, I I decided because when I was growing up. Comics, movies, animation, toys, they were all one thing. And then as I got older, people were like, oh, no, these are all different things. Mm-hmm. And you can only do one of them, if you can even do one of them. And I just, I, after I started writing comic books, I felt a greater urge to prove the world wrong, that there are, are not different art forms, and that actually they share they share a core uh, thing. Mm-hmm. And it is it can be one creative thing. So instead of doing the creative book, I started doing the film work. So right. I started jumping – instead of jumping back and forth between mainstream superheroes and creator-owned comic books, I just felt a, a larger urge to explore other art forms like filmmaking and writing screenplays or what, that kind of thing and jumping back and forth between mm-hmm. that. And it became – you know, I finally realized – I reached this point last year right before the, the image thing where it was like I had – done a few movies now and i had done a lot of mainstream superhero stuff and but i had just never fulfilled that promise i made to myself like when i was a young man just to like do the crater on stuff and i had just kind of run out of excuses you know i had i had my family and i had you know these all these all this stuff had happened and it was like this is the one thing that i promised my spouse i would do that i still hadn't done and it was like really it became really important for me to like do just the idea of it like do a creator own book like it doesn't matter what it is it doesn't matter, you know, uh, who publishes it. It doesn't matter what, you know, h- how many people see it, how it's received. It doesn't matter how much money it makes. Like I just needed to do that to, to like be a healthy person, you know, like I just felt like really focused on that one specific thing. And it was like, and then it was like, if this is going to happen, it needs to happen like right now. And then I'm just going to go. <laughs> and then that's kind of like what started this whole thing. That's excellent, man. I uh, no, I mean back to the comic itself. I think it it looks great. I love, and I've noticed this about your art, and I noticed it a lot in the Iron Man or Iron Fist uh, miniseries, The Living Weapon. Uh, I love when there's a motif that you use when it always seems like the either psychotic person or very driven person always has those interesting hooded eyes, and you literally just see just these little like <laughs> dots of like white. Just surrounded by like uh, you know not only the what would be the whites of the eyes is all black but even like what would be the bags of the eyes or just under the eyebrow all that's black and these hooded eyes and I yeah. mean, you know that's I love that and I remember it too from Iron Fist when you were retelling the origin and it was uh, Danny's father 
and was so driven of going back to Shangri-La that he was borderline nuts. And it's like, it's going to be great. You can't wait till we get there and stuff. And then you've got these moments where both uh, Renato and some of the, the antagonists and stuff have those kind of scary eye moments and stuff. And I just think that's really interesting in a cool yeah. contrast. Well, I, lo- I love that lighting style. You know, It's kind of like the Godfather lighting style where you have these hot overhead lights that are throwing shadows from the you know the orbital of your of your eye socket right over your eyes, but you still catch the you still catch the um the the, uh, the the yeah the uh, the little uh, the light the eye light yes. flickering back from, from your from your eyes. So if this was a movie, um, <laughs> it would look the same way. I mean, I you know I kind of mix up my film and conflict language a lot, but I would like that that same way if it was a movie. A hot directional light right overhead, a tiny little you know, a flashlight or something just right on camera. So you would catch that eye light right back to you over this hooded eyes. Like, I love that stuff, you know? Dude, I love, I, no, I as soon it. as you, yeah, as soon as you said Godfather, I'm like, all right, there's Brando. Yeah, I know what you mean. Exactly. Yeah. And That's it's, great, it's, man. In his time, Godfather, that was like risky lighting. That was like a risky way to light a, to light a scene, to have that top, be very top lit. That's you know? very but I, cool. I love that stuff. I love like... I love language and I love the language of like visual language. And I think comic books have so much visual language. I love to try to like explore that language and, and like use it and expand my vocabulary and like push that language. And so any chance I can have to like do use those tools as storytelling tools, it just, it's, it really makes it exciting to, to create. There's fun choices in terms of uh, flashback moments and, uh, just uh, even even just again going back to uh, some design that that just gives punch to you know various pages and, and different things that you want to hit. It's no, it's very cool, man. It really is great combination of black and white and color and uh, a, a visually compelling story. And again, I really do think uh, supported by a, a, a very cool written story that in both cases people are going to want to follow. You did good. Well, I think uh, I'm more, I'm actually more excited for people to read issue two because issue one it is a thing and I know that thing and it's kind of like it feels like I I think I know how it plays and issue two things get a little more interesting. Okay. <laughs> there's more, the story there's expands. More, the story expands and it gets more dangerous and it gets more. Uh, focused and it gets more uh, specific and it gets, but it also expands. So it expands with specificity and it's like, it's uh, to me, it's like, okay, issue one is the, it's the, it's that first sequence of a James Bond movie before the James Bond movie starts. Yes. Yeah. The prologue. Absolutely. You know, it's like that, that thing where he's like wrestling jaws or whatever. And and then that little thing. Yeah, yeah adventure that, that always happens. that then kick, kicks off the large adventure, and that's kind of how I wrote it. And uh, and so I love those mini adventures, but really issue two is like things things kind of like start ramping up. So I don't know. Outstanding, <laughs> man. Very cool. Should be good. Should be good. I think. Hopefully. Now and we Hopefully. and I briefly mentioned Warren Ellis in the letter column, but really uh, an all star uh, group of people were kind of pre selected to, and as I, we might have said it at the top of the show, but we didn't we didn't specify. Uh, so I don't want to say I don't want to say who they are. I want to keep okay. that a surprise. All right. Uh, so there's also there was a Warren Ellis quote. I um, he wrote a nice little quote. Uh, he he may or may not have written a letter in my letters column. Uh, he, yeah, I'm sure. So spoiler alert, he did. But he also <laughs> he wrote a nice quote on his newsletter uh, oh, that he sends out. And so for his newsletter, I 
I asked him, of course, but I put that quote on the front cover of the comic book, and that's the one about the um, – that was the one I read, the hallucinatory, hallucinatory rage pop Punisher from Monkey Pop. Um, and then and yeah, he's one, he's one of the letter writers in the back of the book, but there's also some other – there's a couple other comic book people, and there's some like – you know, just ran, just random people that I kind of uh, either have worked with or know or you know, just people I thought would be an interesting like – Fun surprise appearance in in just a random letters column at the back. I'm like random letter random letters column at the back of a comic book. You know, I hear you, man. Well, I can't ask that a question on the year. I got to remember to ask it off. Wait, what, was, what, what was the question? All right, well, here I'm editing right now, so let me look at the time check. Okay, at 45:05, uh, Sarah Quinn, isn't she the one that sings that Jonathan Colton still alive song? Uh, no, so Sarah Quinn is like, oh, I don't, I don't know the Jonathan Colton song. Well, Go Sarah ahead. Quinn is a, friend, is a friend of mine. She's, um, she's in a band called Tegan and Sarah. Yeah, I think it is. Go on. And I'm going to look up Jonathan. See if it is. Go ahead. John, I don't know. Who's Jonathan Colton? Jonathan Who's, Colton, uh, is, he's a buddy of Greg Pox, but he has been, he's like an internet sensation. Oh, no, where, no, no, you're totally right. You're totally right. You're totally right. Am I right? This is, you've just like, you've just revealed my lack of music knowledge. Oh, dude, please. I'm 51. <laughs> Honestly, I only find these people. Yes, and there she is. I am in love with Sarah Quinn. My God, she's yeah. beyond adorable. So no, I'm sure she like... could be my daughter, but seriously, she is adorable. Go ahead. You know, I've been friends with those with those girls uh, since I moved to Vancouver. So, like, for a long time, like 17 years, something like that. Um, and we're more friends than anything, but, you know, I directed a music video for them back in the day. And oh, that's awesome. I did some photos for them for some of their albums, and you know, we've done some things together I kind of as figured. little collaborations. But really, I just kind of met them and was just friends with them. Um, okay. And so they may or may not be in the back of the letters column. Well, I, no, spoiler, I'm editing spoiler, this out. No, you can, I'll you can, edit you can, you can, you can leave it. It's okay. fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Just reveal my lack of music knowledge to the world. Uh, well, now everyone feels that I have this, uh, you know, inappropriate crush. on a woman that likely is half my age, so there you go. Well, she's you would have a bigger you would have a bigger question person. Both Tegan and Sarah are so charismatic and so funny and so like you know uh, charismatic and uh, pretty. They're 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 right. They're like so fun. They're all, they're, all, well, they're good. And for people who are interested and want to know what I'm talking about, Jonathan Colton wrote this song, and I forget which stupid. Oh, it's Portal. It's the video game Portal. It's the closing credits, and it is very. Uh, techno in its presentation on the game, but uh, they do this black and white studio version of the song, and Sarah sings lead. And it's just this cute little pop song that Jonathan Colton wrote. And it really is. Yeah. It's a fun video, and it's it's a great song, and she kills it. And I it made me want to see Tegan and Sarah. Honestly, I've watched yeah. other videos. I'm like, oh no, they're yeah. cool. I like that. No, they, they also sing the same theme song for the Lego movie. Oh, that's fantastic! I didn't know they like, were. Everyone is awesome. Whatever that stupid. Song everything is. is awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, that's them. But they oh, also, that's like, crazy. They're, they're like super legit. Like they have their new album coming out right away, and they just released Boyfriend and U Turn, and like go to iTunes and you can buy that stuff. And and uh, no, they're great. The cool thing about them is they ride this line between um, kind of very creative indie music, but also very poppy. And every album they do is another turn in their artistic career and they make strong artistic choices. And that's what I've always tried to do with my work is, is always challenge myself and go and zig and then zag. So I'm not, I'm not doing the same thing again and again and again. It's always my favorite artist to do that, whether it's 
Frank Miller, Madonna, like, you know, you never quite know when they do a new project, like, what is that thing going to be, you know? Sure. And it's a way that I think, um, create, you know, keep that life, keep your heart beating. Like, I think the minute you start repeating yourself is the minute you are st- start dying. Like, you're either growing or you're dying in this world. And there's no, you know, the only way to keep growing is to keep reaching for new reaching towards that sun and like going around bends and like going other ways. And when the art becomes a craft, I think that's, that's really when I've seen my artists start fading away is it's like, Oh, I've seen that before, or I've felt that before, or this is that same thing again. And I just, I always, I never want to do that. I never want to be that guy. I'm nodding. I understand exactly what you mean. And in fact, uh, there's a great, I'll say it, a great inspirational essay in the comic as well that uh, even spoke to me, a non-comic book creator. So, I mean, but I, you know, I feel like stuff like Word Balloon and the projects I do are my own, you know, creative output and stuff. So, no, I it, it, it hit me the right way. So, and I, and again, I think it'll make a lot of aspiring artists and writers appreciate what you're, what you're doing as well. Well, here's the, here's the thing about creativity is like, for me, it's just life, you know, and it's, it's so interesting. Those things you learn in the creative process are really just lessons in life. Like, when I needed to do this book, it wasn't it wasn't just a choice. It's like I needed to do it and I need to do it now. And as soon as I decided to do it, just like weird, strange um, things started happening in my life to like to try to stop me from doing it, like um, the the trademark issue or like just uh, weird conversations with. Uh, friends or coworkers or, or, you know, some, some conflict in places like, and it's like, I always feel like the path you need to do is like the thing you need to do to be a, a whole living creative person. The more true that path is and the more honest and the more direct that path is like the more, um, adversity will face. Like it's, it's, it's the world that tries to, um, keep you in the shadows and keep you in place and keep you quiet and keep you complacent. Like that's what you need to not listen to. And the more, the more the world is screaming at you, it's in a weird way. It's like, Oh, that's, I'm on the right path. Like the more, the harder the path is, that's generally the truer the path and the more honest the path. And it's like, it's creatively, it's like, to me, that's just a, a sign that's like, oh, this is the thing I need to do. And it is really, it is harder than I thought it would be. And there are a thousand things that are happening that shouldn't be happening. And it's just so weird and random, but like, this is the thing. And it's been my whole life. I remember the first time I got my first um, offer to do a Marvel book. It was only half an issue and it came out of the blue and they needed it done in two weeks, which was fine, right? It's like the 13 pages in two weeks. It's like, okay, I could totally do that. Okay. But the girlfriend I was dating at the time um, started losing her mind because she felt I was ignoring her. And I was because it was like, the, this, it wasn't just a deadline. It was like, for me, this was the thing I was working at for years and it was happening and it was the thing I needed to do. And she kind of like put herself in the way of that thing. And it's like, you can't do that with me because if you, if you want me to decide between the thing I've always meant to do and you, well, you, it's going to be the thing. Like it won't be you. Like you can't, <laughs> It's not going to happen, you know. And she I kinda, understand. And she, it was fine. It like worked out until then. But like just other things, like the first the first movie I directed, 
this is a kind of a sadder story, but the first movie I directed on day four, I had a weird phone call where I found out um, one of my brothers had uh, incurable uh, oh, brain, brain cancer. And he only had a few years to live, like a couple. And this was on the my first feature film of day four. While I while I'm shooting, I literally took a call, went outside to the parking lot, and <laughs> was like um, crying on the phone, um, and went back in, and then directed the movie. And it was like it's just wow. these weird things that happen, and you never know where they're going to happen. And they're always painful. And the girlfriend story is funny, but you know, it's, I hear you, man. It's like, there's with stuff like that happened for, with Renato Jones, where it's just like this conflict started coming from weird places for no reason. And it's like, Oh, that's just another sign that like, just like my first half issue at Marvel or my first feature film. It's like, these are like, these are lampposts telling me like, I'm on the right street and I'm driving in the right place. Because if I wasn't driving in the right place, I wouldn't be generating this much friction because I wouldn't be changing the world and I need to be changing the world. You know, it's like the weird – like that's kind of like the weird thing that I think about those things as, as, I'm, as I'm creating. And maybe I'm not actually changing the world, but if I know the world through my own senses and I'm changing my world, well, then I am generating friction or I should be. I should be generating friction with my creative choices. And so, yeah, the little essay I wrote was just kind of like a note, both like a proclamation to like the world – uh, but also to myself and then also to like my, you know, my, my peers in the industry, like do the thing you need to do, do the thing you love, do the thing you're meant to do, but then expect the storm because the storm is going to come and it's going to like test you and you need to survive that test. Interesting. I understand. And I, yeah. And I can speak to current life experience as I'm trying to create and, yeah. and can appreciate the, the focus uh, that you've got in terms of how to deal with when life gets in the way of your ambition. And how it's important to remind, remind yourself why the ambition needs to stay. You have to stay the course. I think that's yeah. It's not just ambition because it's because it's life. Like it's like you're either living, you know, you're either like living you said, and, and growing, yes. or you're or you're um, atrophying. Like you're, yes, you're stagnant you're at best, stagnant, and if worst, atrophying. Yes. But I think there isn't. This is the key. I think I don't think there is stagnation. I think there's actually. It's a biological process of creating new cells or those cells are being destroyed. Like that, that, that event of stasis doesn't exist. Maybe, it's, maybe you can freeze those cells or whatever, but still those cells are decaying just in a very slow state. Like I just don't – I think it's a one – I think it's a binary. I think it's a one or a zero. It's a living or dying. It's like you just have to keep living. Like every choice you make has to keep living. And yeah, sometimes you make the wrong choice and, you, and you're going the other way. But then you need to realize that, and often those signs are like it's anger or depression, or there's or it's like maybe it's addiction issues. If you know if that's your proclivity, or maybe it's some other manifest. I mean, my parents are counselors, so a lot of I, I'm very well aware that a lot of a lot of these pressures on life kind of gen, turn into addiction issues for a lot of people. That that's a sure. thing, or it's just or it's anger. Like I remember when I was a, a teenager, my mom told me stuck with me like anger is your body telling you that you need to change your situation. And it's like, that's true. And that was true with this book too. Like, it was just like, you know, you get angry and it's a good anger. It's like a rage and it's like a creative rage. And you want to like burn shit up and you want to like, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Seriously. No, I honestly, there's, there's a lot of clarity in what you're saying. And I believe that you're, you're really helping a lot of writer's block people and, and people that might be at a crossroads and not sure what to do. So no, this is good. Thank you. This is great. Well, I, I, I mean, you know, 
I, 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 I hope, I hope one person does kind of like listen to this or, or read the essay in my back and this is, is the book and it's just like, cool. That's like, that's the one thing I needed to do this one project and I'm going to do it now. Like that's yep. to me, if that just happened one time, that would be awesome. Um, you know, well, yeah, I think I think you'll I think you're going to hit more than one, man, because honestly, like I said, I truly everything you're saying and even reading this and everything hit me at the right time. Stuff I was telling you off the air, you know, what I mean, honestly, so listeners will hear about it when it's when it's right and everything. But, yeah. So, hey, can, can, let, 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 let me let me just can I just can I just read it to you? I just want to I want to say, say my it pleasure. Loud. Absolutely. I didn't want to presume, I okay. you know, but listen, go ahead. I know. So listen, I know that there's only a certain amount of issues that are that, you know, we are printing <laughs> And if, if, you know, not everyone will be at the store, not everyone will like buy the comiXology, maybe not everyone, everyone is interested in like the mature ratings that the book is because it's kind of an aggressive book and it's kind of like there's some swearing and some nudity and, you know, that kind of stuff. But this message, I think, like goes beyond the book. So let me just let me just read it to you. I really yeah. Like it. So, yeah, so this is, how, this is how it goes. It goes, so you want to be a comic book creator in a world of remakes, and remixes, reimaginings and reboots. You have your own ideas. Redoing isn't doing enough. Reworking isn't working for you. So create. Create with fire and blood. Spit into the sky and first something new. You're not chasing money or fame. You're chasing life. Likes and retweets in a sea of social media sludge. A programmer's trick to make you think you matter. Well, let me tell you something, friend. You matter. What you have to say matters. What's in you matters. So let it out. Create. Shore yourself up against the storm to come because they will come for you when you dare to matter. Those too afraid to live their dreams will try to kill yours to make things even. A blood sacrifice to false gods, but as they tear your pages apart, remember to smile. It's not your dreams in their filthy hands. It's simply paper. And you have so much more to say, so much more they can, than they can ever tear away. Keep creating. Create until you've built a pile of life so high. The dead can't reach you. I'll meet you there. Wait for me, will you? I just have a few things to do. And that's like, you know, that's the message, man. It's just like, you just do the thing you need to do, like you, that you were put on here to do. And I don't know, the more true that message, the more true that thing is, the, you know, the bigger the storm. But I'm with you. That's great, man. Seriously. And it's, uh, I, I think it's terrific. And I, and again, that's why I really do think this is a great, inspirational story and uh a great essay but uh, and and truly i think uh, you're giving us a lot of dope in terms of what the market's like but it's worth it's worth the obstacles it's worth the challenge to to get these things done and yeah just get them done and i and like i said i i've been experiencing that call to action myself in recent weeks so i i do understand and it just happened to hit me at the right time so very cool yeah, well done. yeah totally totally cool let's, uh, let's talk about uh, iron fist if we yeah have. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, 12 issues. And, and again, uh, based on your formula, uh, I guess things went well, right? Did they? Yeah, no, it's, it was good. It was, good. it was a good run. I really um, creatively, you know, I, I always, <laughs> this is why it's so interesting if we do the image book, because I honestly um, always focus on the creative side first and like what's, uh, you know, makes me like fuels my art my art in my life and all that stuff so so to to even like think about the numbers of a book or think about the money coming in i just don't do it normally <laughs> it's just like you know i do the work get a paycheck do the work get a paycheck and just follow the work and the work tells me where to go so with iron fist it was like my first chance to really 
write pencil, ink, color, a 12-issue run. I had done yeah. something similar in Spider-Man Reign where I did the mm-hmm. first issue like that, 32-page issue, and then issues two and three, I got some help coloring from Jose Villarubia, and the mm-hmm. back half of issue, or the first half of issue four, and the, you know, I, and then I, when I got caught up again in work, I was able to do the whole thing again, but I just needed to prove to myself that I could do all those jobs on a monthly book, and I made that work by, you know, using technology and embracing digital in a way, in a greater way than I had done before. Okay. And I had also never really done a 12 issue book before. So it was really satisfying to do like a 12 issue story. So yes. by the time I hit issue 12, it just meant more to me to reach that issue. And I think it made that final thing mean more, at least to me as a creator, than if it had only been a six issue run or a four issue run or, or, or even a seven issue run, you know? Well, yeah, you committed a year to it, and I, you know that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, it was, and it was a big landmark, and it was really opened up my eyes to like, if, if I could do that, well, what is standing in the way of me doing a creator book? Like, not like literally nothing. There was literally no reason. Cool. Like, there was no. I had taken out any any excuse to like, oh, I couldn't find the colorist to help, and sure. oh, I couldn't, you know. I, oh, the inker I, I love working with, he's he's exclusive and he wouldn't be able to do it. Or, you know, there was literally no no excuse not to do it, to, to do a creator book. So for me, it was like, that was a good proving grounds. Absolutely. You know? That's excellent. No, that's really cool. Is the plan for Renato Jones then uh, to do that kind of heartbeat image sort of thing where, okay, you know, you do enough where it's six, is it six issues, not five? The plan for Renato? Six issues is the plan, yeah. Okay, yeah. so would you do that and then, you know, trade, take a few months off, maybe even six months off, who knows? I mean, obviously, because not only are you obviously balancing your comic work, but your film work as well. Yeah, I mean, what's what's happened this year, what's really weird is I've um, directed, or will have directed three different series for three different networks on television. Excellent. Okay, go on. By, can I not uh, say or can you say <laughs> Uh, one has been announced. One has – so there's a new post-apocalyptic show for a sci-fi channel that is called Aftermath, and I filmed that this summer. And so Fantastic. I'm directing two two episodes of that. It's a brand-new show. It's really cool. Like if I could tell you about it, it would – I don't know. At least at least at this stage, the script stage, some cool stuff in in that show. Are there any the other names t- of, of producers that we would know? Um. It's okay if it's, not. I mean, I didn't know who the orphan black guys were, and I was blown away yeah. by that. So you know, I'm 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 not I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure if you would. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about that. Okay. About it. Right. Uh, <laughs> the other the other two the other two series um, are for two other networks, and I can't talk about those yet because those have been announced or whatever. But okay. I don't think, anyways. I'm not sure. What's weird about television is like they you sign this thing right up front being like no social media in a way that I've never experienced before with any other project. Like just can't talk about stuff. And then I don't even know if I'm ever allowed to talk about it. I, I'm only assuming that when they announce things, then I can talk about things. Sure. Um, but it's a different, it's a different level of uh, NDAs or non-disclosures or, or, or whatnot. Well, I'm just going to ask the hypothetical because it's a foregone conclusion that you connect the dots. Are you pitching to, Marvel's television uh, side, not only for ABC, but clearly, given that they've just greenlit the Iron Fist uh, show, wouldn't it be great if Kari Andrews could direct an Iron Fist episode? Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> come uh... on. Now, wait a minute. I, I remember our past conversation. You love Kung Fu. It's one of the reasons why you wanted to do Iron Fist in the first place. It would seem like it's a natural thing. Why not? And tell me what's going through your mind about it. Well, I did. So with Iron Fist, yeah, our conversation was um, I've always loved martial arts. I've always loved action movies. I, I wrote my own martial arts movie that I have been developing for a, a while. Yeah, I that, remember us talking about that. Absolutely, go on. That yeah lives in the world of Iron Fist. Like it wasn't Iron. Like I, when I wrote it, I had I didn't even know anything about Iron Fist really. Not, but it was strange to like to find the direct parallels between that movie, that screenplay, and Iron Fist. When I eventually um, caught up and read all of his original stories, it was like really eerie. The but I think it's because we're dealing in archetypes, and I love the that martial arts hero archetype. So. Hey, Marvel does great product. It'd be it'd be great to team up with them at some point in a way beyond comic books. And I don't know beyond that. I, I can't really say. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You well, know? I figure you know people who, if you don't directly know Jeff Loeb, you certainly know people who know Jeff Loeb. I'm guessing you probably at least have run into him at a, con- a convention or two in the last, you know, 20 years or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we listen, we've, we've talked a little bit about stuff, but okay. I'm not... Who knows? Who knows? All right, all right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I am excited for the show. I'm excited for the series. I think it yeah. should be fun. It should be interesting. No, I agree. And also, and and really, again, if this is uncomfortable because it is, it's it's just weird. This this concern about Orientalism that has popped up with this film, and also we, you know, I mean, in the last two weeks, Doctor Strange changing the Ancient One to Tilda Swinton instead of. Uh, you know the the what should be you know what always was an, an older Asian character and stuff. Um, it's I I I don't know, man. I wrestle with it, and I kind of feel like, well, aren't we sharing a culture, and can't we do that and and appreciate a culture, uh, and and still honor it? I mean, and it seems like at least in the Iron Fist show, Colleen Wing is going to be there, Shang Chi is going to be there. And I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I struggle with, I respect the concern and certainly the frustration and anger in some cases of the Asian nerd community that's just like, hey, fuck you. You know, no, we don't want another white guy doing our thing. Um, I thought Albert Ching in Comic Book Resources made a very uh, cogent point when he said, hey, I, I'm an Asian guy. I don't want uh, Marvel's first Asian uh, or, you know, Marvel's, uh, what should be Asian, you know, that stereotypically an Asian Marvel hero will follow an Asian, a typical Asian path. And and he was he was much more eloquent than I was just describing it. But that's the thing. It's kind of this weird thing. And I don't know, as you read, you know, from casting and, and, and again, the outcry that came from the casting, if, if you thought about that at all. Yeah, because that, that outcry was happening while I was still doing the book. So... I, so here's the really? thing. Really? Wait a minute. 12? Yeah. I didn't realize it was that close. Because really? They, well, it's only because they – well, maybe not the casting of the of – the, not the casting of the, the actor, but right. the outcry. If you're that, doing this, it better be an Asian yeah, girl, that kind of that thing. That predated okay. the, 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 the casting. So okay. I, think, I, I think I have a very specific point of view about this because when I was doing Iron Fist, I feel like I was the most informed – Iron Fist creator on the planet, only because I had completely studied the prior runs, um, but also I was doing the the new stuff, the current runs, Mm -hmm. and I had some similar uh, concerns or issues with the Iron Fist character in a comic book. And 
what I did to address, because I live in Vancouver too, where this, we have such a high Asian population. Okay. And it is so weird to not see Asian actors or Asian characters in American film or television. Like, it's weird. It's weird not to. Sure. Especially you have the Academy Awards, which was a very, like, you know, people were fighting back against the exclusion of other minorities. Yes. Well, not even minorities anymore. Other, other whatever. Other uh, groups. Components, in, yeah. Other, other groups. Other, other, yeah. But still, you have Chris Rock um, bringing out a little Asian kid and making fun of him as, like, the accountant. You know, it was like a weird – it was weird to have one group of Wow, people I didn't even be, make that association. Okay, go on. Be so, like, listen to us. We matter. We're important. And then, But then at the same time, inadvertently make fun of another group and kind of reinforce some stereotypes in that group. And it was so interesting to me to see that. And I think because what's weird about Vancouver is we have – very low black population. I mean, I can't call them African Americans because it's not America. <laughs> so, I understand um, you, man. Sure. But it's like very low black population, um, but a very high Asian population. And so it's, I'm so aware of that in Hollywood. And I think I totally understand like that feeling that like, especially from that community, like, where are we in the world? You know, we're not just the scientists or like the accountants or like whatever, like, you know, where are we in the heroes of superhero films and all that kind of thing? And so I think for someone who doesn't know of Iron Fist, hasn't read the books, they would see, they would hear of, oh, there is a Kung Fu superhero. Well, he should be Asian. We should, we're going to, we're going to push our anger at this situation towards that character. But really, if you understand who Danny Rand is at the core, like he can be anything but Asian. Like he could be Latino or, exactly. or from Africa or from Poland or from, I don't know, wherever. A, a different part of Southeast Asia, which I thought was the most interesting call of fine, don't make him uh, Japanese, Chinese, uh, you know, yeah. one of the one of those uh, forms of, of Asians, but instead right. make it more of a Middle Eastern Asian, for example. To Middle Eastern, right? Wouldn't that be interesting? But he could, the idea is he could be anyone, he could be any other race, because as soon as soon as soon as he's a little bit Chinese or a little bit Japanese, well, thematically... His journey changes from outsider, raised in an outside land, and then returns back to his homeland as an outsider. Again, it would be one thematically of him returning home. Like if he was one-eighth Chinese and he returned – and he went to Kunlun, magical Kunlun, well, at least thematically or story-wise, it would be like, well, your ancestors were from China. You know, it would, it would change that, the, whole, the yes. whole core concept. So for me as a creator, well – I disagreed with that push to make him uh, a Asian. It didn't didn't make sense, but I do understand and I and I recognize that anger towards the situation. And it really became clear when I saw it was more Scarlett Johansson as uh, I completely agree. Right? Oh my like when, god! When you saw that photo, it was it, it is a, it's offensive. It really at the, at this stage it is offensive. You can go. We talked about Joe, James Bond. You can go back to Doctor No. And in a uh, less uh, kinder time, had Joseph Weissman, a, a, an Anglo-Englishman, uh, be Asian Doctor No. Or, uh, God, you know, really embarrassing uh, TV episodes now. Literally a Mission Impossible episode where Ricardo Montalban is played as an Asian. And he's squinting. <laughs> literally yeah. squint. Or, if yeah. it, I mean, it sure looks like he's squinting and that's how he's conveying that he's Asian. It's totally. sad. Totally. So, so yeah, no, and you know that's obviously the joke too in Galaxy Quest with uh, with uh, Tony Shalhoub pretending to be an Asian. And stuff. I, do, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> Tech Sergeant Chen. 
<laughs> and of course, and he had and he had tiny eyes because he was smoking pot. So it really was a bad Cheech and Chong joke. So I hope nobody's offended. I apologize. I'll apologize for that. But it's just an interesting observation. But no, you know that whole theme of the outsider going and learning the other culture and coming back is you know whitewashing now. And I because I don't disagree with. I, I really think you gave a very balanced view and and do understand all, all sides as I try to as well and agree in principle. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I still think that's a valid story without it being oh now you're the white god that has bested us at our own culture. And I'm like, I don't think of Danny Rand as that kind of character. No, I think I, he's still no, a no. fuck up. And totally. I think, you know, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, no, that's like Danny's classic Marvel flaw that with all this power, he's still a fuck up. And I, and I even love, have you been reading uh, David in uh, Sanford's run or is it like seeing an old girlfriend with a new guy? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I, I, <laughs> a little bit of both, really. So I read, I read the first two issues. I'm going to read the third. I just haven't caught up yet. And it's, it's great. I think it's great. I love it. I love, I love, uh, I love Sanford stuff and, uh, the story's fun. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. I think yeah. they're doing a great job. Well, and it's a different tone from what you did. And it's a different tone with, uh, what Matt did and Swarzynski and all those guys. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, I, I love everything. I mean, God, there was a four issue miniseries. I'm sure you read it for your prep. And it was, I want to say one of the guys who wrote the Destroyer novels. And I like that Iron Fist story. The just, you know? Yeah, man, those story novels. I was I I was asked to pitch for a Destroyer movie at one point, and so I got into those novels. And uh, it's some cool, it's some cool stuff. I, <laughs> some I, cool I, stuff. I have to confess, Remo Williams is still a guilty pleasure movie. I love the. I mean, it's Guy Hamilton. It's a James uh, Bond director doing it. I think Fred Ward is very funny. I and again, unfortunately, much like uh, Scarlett Johansson, you've got Joel Gray portraying uh, a Korean. Right. Uh, but it's, I don't know. And then did you ever even oh. see the TV pilot? No. For real no, Williams? And it's Roddy, Roddy McDowell is Chun. In, nice. Uh, oh man. I'm wow. telling And it's, and the guy, the lead guy, it's a no name actor who looks like a cross between Adam Carolla and, uh, David Naughton from American Werewolf in London. What? Weird. It's like his unibrow dude, or kind of like Ken Wall, the old wise guy, wise guy uh, lead actor and stuff. Yeah, this really weird looking guy. But they got the music, and it's, wow. I mean, it's cheesy as hell. It's bad 80s TV. But it's, its I mean, if you love Remo Williams. Every now and then, Encore shows it. Huh. And it's like an hour long. And it's like, you know, like a 42-minute little mini-movie. But that's yeah. that's awesome. Oh, but to, to, so just to go back to the Iron Fist thing. So when I was doing Please, the comic book, yeah. I had the, I, actually, I actually had those same you know before I before anyone knew it was going to be a Netflix series. Like even my you know my editors had no idea. Um, I had those personal opinions or or concerns because again I think because I live in Vancouver I'm just so aware of it. And growing up I always had you know there's always a, there's a high Asian population throughout Canada. We've always been very you know very high population. Uh, and so I've always had like really close friends, and so I've always had that in my mind. And so when I, I tackled the Iron Fist series, I was very aware not to make every Asian that showed up either um, a horrible, <laughs> like um, a ninja, like a, just a, mm -hmm. it's an evil ninja, or like an evil Kunlun like warrior trying to you know take not you know take uh, Danny Rand down. You know, so I was I really went out of my way to create um from whole cloth new asian heroes that i could leave the marvel universe with and like you know like hey here are some seeds that i can drop in the ground yep. you know when, when i have my opportunity 
and maybe um, another someone else can make them grow. Maybe I can come back to them, whatever. But I created a, you know, a, a little um, monk, little Kunlun monk, yes, named, named Pei, who became the reverse of Danny Rand. So Danny Rand was a young man who was kind of arrived at Kunlun to train to become Iron Fist, and by the end of my run at Iron Fist, I had the opposite happen, where I had a new young girl from Kunlun yep. trained to be Iron Fist with Danny Rand. And I thought, oh, that this way I can like both have uh, – both address the kind of like very interesting um, – uh, in in the fraction, Brubaker, Aja run, they dismantled the patriarchal society of Kunlun and like empowered the uh, women because <laughs> there was also a yes. gender thing in Kunlun. So it was like my way of both addressing that but also – being like, hey, maybe the next Iron Fist, instead of it being like a white guy for three three generations of the past Iron Fists, for whatever reason, maybe maybe it can actually be like actually a, a, a Kunlun monk, a, a local. And a female and, Kunlun monk. And a female, right? yeah. And then also I like, you know, I, I, um, I really kind of uh, created the persona anyways of Sparrow and then made her the, the UT. I thought that was important to like, hey, really like – if this is where we're going to go and dismantle the patriarchal society of, of Kunlun, like I want to go all the way. Like I want to leave like a female UT in charge of like, yeah. And not, and have it be like the cool right thing to do. Like, Oh, she is the most skilled. And, and then also like, I thought like, Oh, I don't want to just create like, you know, cause I also created a, a, a fun, I think a funny kind of like crazy um, monk named Fu, who was kind of like the, I don't know. He's like the, the mad scientist of Kunlun, but also create like a, just a normal, like a uh, Asian American, like a, just a guy who was born there, um, and so that was the detective in the series that like um, kind of accompanied uh, um, the the B story throughout like New York City. It's just yeah. like a normal, like a normal Joe, no a normal like guy, normal detective on the force who just happened to be Asian. So I thought, you know, while I have my chance with these toys, let me specifically do that, and just to make myself feel more engaged in this portrayal of like the Marvel universe, you know, I hear you, man. No. And I also think the TV show is going to kind of do the same thing with traditional Iron Fist characters. I mean, that was the thing. Like, and like I said, when they initially announced it, I'm like, well, you know, Colleen Wing is going to be there. You yeah. know, Luke is going to be there. And I'm like, um, are you telling me they're not going to have Shang-Chi? Come on. I'm like, it's going to happen. And, and sure enough, I mean, when they announced it, it's like, there you go. Okay. And I don't mean like, yeah, that's fine. You know, I feel, I always feel like, like I always feel like Archie Bunker. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. You got you people got what you wanted. All right, that's enough. <laughs> and I, you really, I don't mean it like that. But truly, that no, they're going to acknowledge it. And much like Scarlett Johansson showing up in the first Iron Man movie and kicking ass and stuff, I'm sure that Colleen Wing and Shang Chi are going to be very badass like and and represented well. And I and I think that's great because I that was the thing. It was like, hey man, I, I talked about this with Reggie Hublin. We were talking about the Oscars. No lie, last summer. And I'm like. I love Shang-Chi. I'm like, didn't you? I'm like, you know, we're, you're black, I'm white. I'm like, we're little kids. And we're like, Bruce Lee is awesome. And, you know, the period. That's it. It's like, no, oh, it wasn't like, oh, we need a white Bruce Lee. It's like, no, we got Bruce Lee. We love Bruce Lee. He's amazing. Yeah, totally. You know, and that was the totally. thing. It was like, no. And if anything, it just brought, I, I truly forgive the Pollyanna attitude. I'm like, I thought this is bringing our cultures together more. Yeah. 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 No, no, I, I, uh, I agree. Totally. So. Anyway, totally. <laughs> well, thanks. No, honestly, because I, I know it's kind of a touchy subject, 
And it's I, so touchy. Well, here's the hard, th- here's the hard thing. Like everything, like when I, <laughs> when when I do a podcast, the thing I like about podcasts is everything I say is, um, kind of um, you can't like when I do a written interview, I actually re-answer those questions like three or four times. I read them aloud. I just want to make sure they make sense. You. Check for you know, I check my spell checking because I'm horrible at spelling. It's not my strength. Uh, but when you do podcasts, you're not uh, – you can't. You just say things as they come to your head, and you have to try to stay in the moment and answer them. And every – actually, every question becomes a landmine because one <laughs> one, one misstated statement could just explode in your face. And I like that kind of pressure, and I like that kind of like – you know, it's a tightrope. You like the tightrope. That's fine. I do. But also, it's like, how do I, how do I try to like communicate myself truthfully and wholly and succinctly, which is not my strength, but you know, I'm kind of forced to in a podcast. I hear you, man. And also, I think transcripts cannot show uh, sarcasm and uh, you know sadness yeah, and totally. real emotion behind the words, unless you do have someone that really does take the time to put those parentheses in there and say this yeah. is the tone that I was getting. But no, you're right, and that, and I do think that's important, and that is what I love about doing audio interviews because it's all your own words, and I'm not here with any, you know, and I know you know this, but any agenda of gotcha or anything like that, and also truly, um, or even just the innocent thing of, oh shit, I meant to, I didn't mean to mention that project that's coming up in two months, and so I do kind <laughs> of afford, you know, creators to sure. say, I should have talked about that. I'm like, yeah, man, it's fine. First of all, it's fucking comic books. <laughs> right, totally. Because literally, that is why it's like, oh, you know, is it okay? I don't want to come off like, you know, I'm trying to hide what I said. I'm like, hey, it's comic books. Yeah. It's okay. No, I, I don't subscribe to that. Well, I'm sorry, we were on the record. I mean, you know, it's it's this is an entertainment show, and I and yeah. really, I mean, so no, thanks for being candid, and uh, and yeah, I want, I think it is fair and and really important. That people understand the intent behind the words. So. Well, you know, I there are there are answers I can't answer in written because I just went through this. I just did a whole bunch of interviews for Renato Jones, and you know, people always ask me some touchy questions, um, and so I, I write them as I feel them, and I'm passionate, and I'm like attack that answer, and I'm like do it, and I think it, and I say it, and I'm like write it, and it's like oh cool, and then I go back and reread it, and I'm like oh someone could read this in a bad way, like my my message of like empowerment and passion and creativity can be read like oh you could there could be a dark reading of those words. right you're tyler durden absolutely we're yeah, gonna blow then, up the credit yeah, union absolutely and, and then i just look like a, a, a jerk but if i say <laughs> the words if i say the words i can people i think it's like better because people know where i'm coming from or whatever they can just i think you can hear the intention of the person yeah. when they say the words. so i'm more free with what i say in a podcast um, but it is, uh, it is, it is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Well, listen, I, I thought this was great. Oh, tell me, like, are there any, all right. So you've got the two TV sh- or you got three TV episodes or two different shows. How is, how does it work? I have five episodes across wow. three, three television shows and three networks, uh, all dropping at various times this year. I think they're, I think they're all on, well, one, one is very CG heavy. So it may get pushed into next. I don't know who, I don't know. I, I, okay. Interesting. I'm not sure, but for myself as a director, it was like very interesting to insert myself into those series and kind of learn how TV works. Like I always knew how TV works because I've been kind of a student of, you know, I have friends that work in television and I, and my, I am podcast crazy with like the writer's room or Children of Ten. Oh, that's great. I love yeah. that show. Absolutely. Yeah. Children of Ten do. If, you, if you've listened to that one, that was pretty cool too or whatever. I haven't. No, how about uh, you must remember this? That's old Hollywood. I don't know if you ever heard uh, of that. A little bit, a little bit. A little All right, bit. 
yeah. want. But but it's different when you're actually inside the mechanisms of yes. the machine. And these were all new shows that I uh, directed on. And the second show I did, I was kind of uh, you know I was kind of invited to into some meetings that maybe a director isn't normally uh, invited to. As, as, as just it was a very healthy show that was very inclusive in the process, and I just kind of really feel like I am understanding the specificity of the the machine in a way that like I kind of know how movies are made now right but right. television is a little different sure. and I feel like I am like accruing this knowledge of how a TV show is actually constructed like the specificity of each component in a way that just is very exciting and it's like oh well maybe maybe that's next for me maybe it's like creating a new show you know or something like that it's like it's kind of becoming very exciting to learn that and play with that kind of a, a tool set or tool kit. Um, but you never know. My, I have my, my martial arts feature I've been working on forever is threatening to happen. Fantastic. And I also, you know, I love comic books and it will never stop making comic books. So I'm going to keep doing those. So you just never, I just never know what's, what's next, but it's all fun and it's all creative and it's all, it's all passionate anyways. So how much of you, and again, I'm not fishing for what shows you might be working on, but how much are you watching uh, the television that's being made for sci-fi and certainly the superhero shows. Have you watched the CW shows? Have you watched the ABC shows? The Netflix shows, obviously. Yeah. What are your opinions on those? Well, I have three. You know, I have th- a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a and a two-month-old. So I don't watch as much TV as uh, as I'd like to, just because of time. And I'm also doing this book, but. I go to movies even less these days. And when I do relax with my wife, it's always watching television. You know, we don't we don't put in movies anymore, really. Well, it's we easier to watch 40 minutes than it is, uh, you know, an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, and you can keep watching. You can keep watching the whole, the whole series. Uh, yes, and I wanted to ask about that because clearly yeah. as opposed to filmmaking, you're getting a 12-hour story or a 13-hour story or even a 24- or 22-hour story if it's a, a over-the-air network like, you know, one of the five. Yeah, and com- and comic books are more in tune with series yes. like than films. So I find myself just very drawn to the medium of television or you know the uh, the mini series like um, True Detective or whatever. Like I find myself very drawn to that method of storytelling in a way that I wasn't in my past, and so that's why I think I'm just getting super excited about what you know, even something like um, Renato Jones. Like, oh, what would that be like? As a, as a series, like if, sure. if that if that was a TV series, what would it be like? Um, it's 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 interesting to like run those through your head, and I don't like I'm not creating any comic books to as shortcuts to get on, to be made into TV shows, but sure. but um I am I am getting very interested and very curious in that process beyond just directing some shows. Like actually, you know, I write too. It's like it's like yeah. show writing a show is like a collection of skills that is similar to the collection of skills that the writer artist has in comic books. And it's like, it's, it's very interesting to me. I understand it. I, I don't blame you. And I, I feel the same way. And also just again, as even comics evolve away from the big two and there's more opportunities for people to tell their stories on their own, all the different platforms that are out there. And it's so weird because I'm waiting for that saturation point. And it doesn't seem to be in the near, in the current future. It might come up in the within the next three years because I don't know how all these platforms can afford these shows, uh, given the pay model that currently exists. 
some will survive. I mean, you know, the, you know, Netflix is doing great. Hulu is likely, and again, funded by the networks, they're doing great. You know, well, and again, I guess Google is <laughs> Google has enough money that maybe they can afford to spend it, and certainly Amazon. I don't know. It's Netflix, just, but yeah, that's just, I mean, but that's the first five. There's yeah. another ten that are underneath that. But go on, yeah, tell yeah. Me your well, observations. I mean, well, I think, but Netflix is actually contracting, right? That and what they offer, like they're expanding their homegrown series, but and and feature films as well. But now, but they are contracting the content that they are providing to their subscribers from other areas. And, I think. Go on, and I'll tell you my theory on that. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I just read an article about it, so it's just it's just interesting. And of course, it's because it costs so much money for them to create their own shows. But then when they have that show, they can, you know, show it around the world. Whereas every other show, you know, I live in Canada. I don't get American Netflix. I don't, I don't get like a lot of the stuff you guys get in Netflix. Oh, that's interesting. I I would be curious at the differences and stuff like that. Yeah. So like, for instance, a show like Empire, maybe you have it on Netflix. I don't know, but we do not have it on Netflix here or a show like, is it on Hulu or no? We don't get Hulu in Canada. Oh, there's interesting. No, there's well, no Hulu. Yeah, because uh, I want to say I know Fox and NBC, I believe, fund Hulu. Right. Um, and also, I, I know I've mentioned this on other episodes of the podcast before, but Les, Leslie Moonves, the head of CBS, is like, yeah, you know, we cut a few too many early deals with the Netflix and Hulus. We kind of left uh, what used to be the model of you run it on our network, then it runs on basic cable. And then we put, you know, then we put it out on DVD or whatever. Yeah. And they like, we were like, we're cutting our own, you know, nose off with cutting out yeah. basic cable before we get to Netflix. So I believe a lot of existing deals as they expire are being rewritten. And I, well, I even know even shows like The West Wing was on American uh, Netflix and it looked like it was going to quit. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, it's continuing. And I'm yeah, like, oh, that's really interesting. But also, yeah, I mean, I, I, people are really happy that. They can only be a season behind on The Flash and watch it on Netflix if they're not watching it regularly on the CW. And it's like, yeah, that may not last long. And same with Gotham, you know, shows yeah. like that. Well, when Netflix first appeared, that was the one thing that that drew me in was like, how is this possible that I could pay $8 a month and have all this content whenever I wanted on demand? And these are shows that like if I wanted to buy the, the DVD sets, it would cost me hundreds of dollars. Yep. Like, like I never watched Buffy growing up. So that was the one series I started watching on Netflix as soon as I got it because I was just – you know, I always knew about it. I just sure. had never actually watched it. And so to watch okay. all seven or eight seasons or whatever yep. it went for was just kind of mind-blowing that it was just a weird $8 a month. And then you watch, it's like, oh, yeah, this is – this extreme savings for me is at the expense of, like, someone's extreme profit. And then you watch it now, especially with movies. Like, I can't tell you how many movies – I don't watch because, oh, that will show up on Netflix. Like sure. I'll just wait for Netflix where it's free, you know? And if, yeah. if, if I'm doing that and I am like someone who tries to pay for my movies because I want to support movies, the general public I'm sure is like that times a thousand, you know? So it's, it's weird. I really think Netflix and that model is like destroying feature films in a weird way. Uh, and well, but they're that, also only up there for a limited time too. Because, you know, I mean, and a TV series like that, Battlestar Galactica, I'm like, yeah, it's on Netflix. That's great. It's like, yeah, it's going away. What? Aww. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing, though. But, like, at, a time, at the time, I went to, I'm sure you were the same way. Going, I was just thinking about this the other day. Going to the, the DVD store and throwing down hundreds of dollars every yep. week to buy yep. all my favorite things so I could keep them in the shelf and watch them whenever I wanted to has kind of gone away with, like, is that on Netflix now? Oh, no. Hmm. I wonder if it'll be on Netflix Next year or whatever, three months or from now. Or do I really need to own this? 
Yeah. Whereas as opposed to, of course, I want every documentary that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. It has and same thing happened with the um the DVD market when they kept slashing the prices of like DVDs. You know, three months later, it's only six dollars instead of thirty dollars, and you're yes. like, why did I spend? 30? I'm not going to spend. I'm not going to do that again. You can't trick me again. Even not, Blu-ray, even as crisp yeah. and as great as Blu-ray was, I was a very late adapter because I'm like. <laughs> I, I already how many times it was it was the same problem with music. I bought this on as a forty five, as a cassette, as an album, and now a CD, and now I got to buy it digitally. Jesus Christ! How many goddamn times do I have to buy the same song? Yeah. You know? So every, everything's changing. The one thing yeah. I'm I'm so thankful of is at the point at this point there is no all you can eat Netflix. And people have tried to do this. People I know have tried to do this as well. But there's no all you can eat subscription based platform for comic books. Like I really think that would be the death. Because what we're experiencing in media, and I know this because of my background in film and television, is there is a real um, quagmire of how to how people are actually paid for those Netflix views in a way that that's all been worked out for television and theaters. Right. Like when you're when you're a director on a on a TV show, you get paid royalties based of where it's playing, what country it's playing, what territory it's playing, when it's playing, how many times it's playing. You get paid. You get you get compensated. As an artist, but Netflix and those digital distributors, they don't that they're working that out still. Like people aren't getting paid for that stuff, which yeah. is why it's so cheap because no one's getting paid. It's like Uber. Uber's cheap because they don't pay for the you know the proper way to do it. They're like right. cheating or Airbnb. They're cheating because they're not paying proper insurance or right. or what, all that all that stuff that comes with owning a proper business. So that digital distribution compensating the artists is not working out right now. Like it's not working out. Like people don't, aren't getting paid. And with how, you know, the comic book industry is so small and it's not really a lot of money in comic books compared to these other giant medias. I'm just so happy that there is not that model in comic books yet. And I hope it never happens because I don't think it's healthy for art forms. You know, I do. No, I do. And like you said, this is what's kind of being, uh, figured out. I mean, that was the basis of, or at least it was pretty obvious that they said, well, I think maybe it was focused more on DVDs, but you know, the, one of the reasons why I'm assuming the writer strike happened 10 years ago. That was one, that was one of the, that was one of the points. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. One, yeah. One no, points. I get it, man. Because the DVD sales would, um, buy people houses <laughs> and, uh, the digital distribution, um, was this weird unknown. And it was also super undervalued in the beginning. I can't, I remember I have listened to some, very interesting podcast on this stuff that that information has left my brain, but it is interesting. Yeah. In, in Canada, what often happens with directors is if there's an American series shooting in Canada, you will get paid plus you get a buyout. So you get paid your normal fee and then they buy out your royalties instead of having to deal with the royalties. It also makes it more economic if it's a big hit show it, to hire a Canadian director working on an American series shooting in Canada it's just cheaper for them to work with a Canadian director because – and this is the same with animation voice talent in Canada. They can pre-buy out your royalties. So even if the show is a super success, they've only paid this certain amount of money. And what's interesting now is that's actually where that was always kind of considered like, a, 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 why are we doing this? <laughs> you know, this sure. Is, this is, we're just trying to like lure productions to Canada by – by not paying people properly. Now it's actually becoming a benefit because a lot of those directors on American series or whatever don't know how to get royalties when that show is being distributed on 
Netflix in Germany or whatever, or okay. whatever, you know, whatever okay. country that is. So it's weird. It's, it's weird. It's all it changing. is weird. No, it's fascinating, yeah. honestly. And I, yeah, I believe me, I'm having more and more uh, people on that are really coming on as Netflix content creators uh, and, and those other platforms as much as comic book people, because I am, I, I, I again, I'm from radio. And again, I always say radio is not dying. Radio is changing. And yeah. radio is not changing fast enough to uh, keep up with the market's taste changing, but it will force itself to change. And it will still exist, but it'll be different, just like, you know, uh, or, or, you know, things will appear alongside radio. And, you know, but yeah, it's music on radio. I'm not sure what kind of life it has, but yeah. uh, but other formats on radio, I think, will remain and thrive and, and do just fine totally. alongside podcasts like this one. So, yeah. well, I think like Netflix, I think the future of Netflix is much more healthy for everyone because the future of Netflix is these Marvel deals where they own the content or is, yeah. um, you know, is their own movies or their own TV right. series. And then, you know, they're they're funding it. They're paying people properly. It's, they're distributing it themselves. It's it's like Netflix reminds me of early HBO, where HBO started off by showing other people's movies and then started making their own yes. award winning content. And it's like, yes. oh, as soon as Netflix actually becomes really becomes HBO, then I think everyone will be better off. Netflix will be better off. Um, all the content creators will be better off. They're already, you know, Netflix will come in now early to help fund a film production or a series or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah. it is changing in a healthier way, but. We're stuck in this middle ground for five or ten years. Or it's right, gonna... the awkward period. Exactly. Yeah. A few people can get screwed along the way, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Figuring it out. <laughs> totally. totally. Now I hear you, man. I, I, and I know I've kept you. I don't want to keep you too long. But any, yeah. any thoughts on the current uh, movies uh, that have been out? Did you see Batman Superman? I have not watched Batman Superman yet. Um, Shocking. Well, here's what's weird. I, Zack Snyder is one of my favorite, movie, favorite directors. Interesting. Um, Go on. Because... He, uh, he has just – he has a muscular approach to visual storytelling that I really enjoy. Having I said agree. that, some of his storytelling choices, not his methodology. Like I love his technique, but his actual storytelling choices uh, sometimes are a little confusing to me. And so I was all on board to like uh, sneak away uh, when I didn't have the kids or the baby or my wife and just sneak in and just like – jump straight into the Batman versus Superman volcano. Right. Good or bad. And just cause I knew sure. it would be both probably and just like enjoy the crazy. But because the reception has been so crazy, I'm at the point now where like, I'm like, ah, I'll just wait. You know, I'll just wait till it's on Netflix or I'll wait till maybe it's on iTunes. Cause I just, I don't, I don't know. I just don't want, I just don't want to be burdened with, that <laughs> that's so funny well that's, that's interesting dumb. though as a filmmaker because i also think that um and and clearly you've got a different view of film than than the go the film goer but i mean it, this is because of his visual style i think you do need to see it on a big screen i even saw it on uh an imax screen and it was only because yeah. i got free passes from dr pepper through twitter <laughs> I, literally I, that's that's like god's honest truth it wasn't press awesome. Nothing. It was like, hey, man, you want to see this? And I'm like, yeah, all right. I was going to go awesome. anyway. Well, so. as, as a filmmaker, let me just tell you, the fake IMAX screens are, like, horrible. The fake IMAX, you know, but not the true IMAX screens. Yes. There's the other IMAX screens that he's call IMAX screens, but are actually only, like, 20% bigger than the normal screen or some some insane amount. Uh, and, um, yeah. yeah. And I agree with you on that. And, and usually 
when I am normally going, I know which IMAX theaters to go to, and there are very few films that I really feel are necessary. Maybe if Warcraft gets a positive review, because I'm not sure if I want to see that. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, that's an, I, I never got into the game, and but exactly. I do like Duncan Jones is like really good. So, and I have a lot of friends that worked on that. Oh, interesting. Because uh, they shot it here in Vancouver. Sure, sure. But that's another one where. Eh, you know, I don't need to see like Mad Max. I needed to see yes. that that first day. Needed to go all in. Needed it like Incredible. I needed it, Incredible. and and it just happened to be amazing. And it was such a good experience <laughs> to me. You know, yeah. So that was, I felt bad for him at the Oscars. Go on. Well, here's the other thing. I don't think um, <laughs> like the kind of associate with my little manifesto and creativity. Like the true visionaries and the true pioneers and the the true artists never yeah. are recognized. They're never recognized. Maybe they are later on. Maybe people eventually feel bad enough and they give Scorsese an Oscar or whatever. But um, yeah, Hitchcock like, never got a legitimate like Oscar for us. Well, oh. other than Re- well, Rebecca won, but the producer got it. Hitchcock didn't get it. Right, Hitchcock. Uh, Fincher, George Lucas, like whoever, whoever you want to say that is like at the top of the game, changing the world, generally don't get recognized, whether it's comics or film, whatever, like award shows, awards. This is a quote I I agree with, where awards aren't given to people who who um, deserve it. They're given to people who need it. So it's like they're they're given to that that guy in second place that it's like we can all feel good about it because (laughs) That guy won. And of course, it's Hitchcock. Man, Hitchcock. Uh, he, yeah, everyone loves Hitchcock. Or, yeah, or he's, he's above, he, he's above those kinds of awards. You're right. He's a, totally. he's a visionary. He's a, same, he's a style. He's, same with know. Fincher. Fincher, Absolutely. one of the most recognized yeah. directors on the planet. Ah, uh, it's a Fincher movie. We're all going to love it. He's, everyone's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. 80 takes. Ah, uh, whatever. Let's give it to La La La. You know, it's just like, man, <laughs> David it's Fincher would like, love. Yay. <laughs> he would like an Oscar. Let me tell you, he would enjoy an Oscar. So that's why, you know, I, um, uh, I, I try not to chase awards because uh, okay. I think it's a it's a false it's a false paradigm All until right, maybe I'm that. given one and then and then I'll feel different. <laughs> All bets are off. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of oh Deadpool. You saw Deadpool maybe? Okay, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> All right. Well, like you this, said, you've been real busy. So really, none the, of, none of the superheroes movies of late. Uh, this is the life of a new parent. And so my my third child showed up the day before prep started on my second series where I directed for a month. So it's like it's just like I I drove from the hospital that morning to the production offices to start directing that series, and then on top of that, writing, inking, penciling, coloring, Renato Jones. Yeah. So it's like you know, just my time is so it's cool contracted. But I did see Zootopia yesterday with my five year old son. And I had Sylvester. Was it good? <laughs> It was great. It was great. I loved it. Actually, I love the six minutes that they show in the that they were showing as a long preview, the the DMV scene. That's the only yeah. scene I saw, which was great. It was very funny. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's, a, it's a great movie. But cool. I'm I, I'm excited for Deadpool, and um, you know, I just worked with the <laughs> the guy who was a stand-in for Colossus, so that's cool. Oh, that's hilarious. That's <laughs> and and one of the actors from this uh, upcoming show on Sci-Fi is uh, she was featured in Deadpool as well. So you know, I I need to see it. Also, uh, like you know, it's supposed to be really good, so I'm excited to see that. I'm going to savor it. I actually just oh, I just bought it on iTunes today. I just downloaded it. It's ready to go. I just have I to can't believe it's already out on iTunes. Holy shit! I know, right? Jesus Christ! Wasn't it's it great. February? It was February. It was Valentine's Day. So the, re- the release dates. Holy so, shit! So contracted. It's crazy. Yes, my God. I mean, I got used to okay, fine, four months in some cases, and usually yeah. four months for the shitty movies. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that didn't make their money and everything. Wow, totally. that is insane. Jesus Christ. Um, I was getting, all right, so what about uh, Jessica Jones or the current season of Daredevil? Yeah, I've been, so I'm up to episode four on Daredevil, and it's, okay. pre- it's pretty awesome. Yep. Um, Jessica Jones is good. Uh, the first season of Daredevil is good. Um, yeah. No, I'm, CW I'm, stuff. Flash, Arrow. I have watched some Flash and uh, liked it a lot. Uh, I, w- I was watching Arrow. While, <laughs> the mistake I made with Arrow is I started watching it while I was um, working on Iron Fist, and it felt like almost like, whoa, this is too close to Iron Fist. Like, I what happened? I appreciate that. Sure. I need, to, I need to stop watching. So I need to catch up on Arrow, but it's shot here. It's a local show. I, know I was going to say, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's 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 really well-made television. You know, both both Flash and Arrow are like high-quality stuff. So Do you know Flash, that mansion that they use for Smallville and, and Arrow? Um, no. No. Okay. Because, yeah, I've heard that, you know, yeah, it was the same mansion. Like Luther's, Luther's mansion in Smallville was Oliver's mansion in uh, – the Queen mansion in, uh, in Arrow. Probably. There's this uh, Riverside uh, – uh, former psych ward that is the most filmed at location in British Columbia. <laughs> okay. And because you can film it as a school, you can film it as a military compound, you can film it as a hospital, you can film it as office buildings. And I see that in like every episode of every, whether it's Supernatural or The Flash or Arrow. It's like in there all the time. I've shot there like two times. It's like in every television show you've ever seen. Um, so I'll catch things like that. Or like okay. the, the underground uh, skateboard park in Deadpool. I, I just shot in that underground skateboard park. Oh, so that's you, fantastic! <laughs> you you do you do see or like when I was watching the killing, like I would recognize a lot of those spots that either I've shot in or I've just driven through. Or, you know, you do recognize a lot of Vancouver in these in these various okay. productions. Yeah, too too cool. All right, dude, I uh, I've I've taxed you enough. I think uh, I think we I think we did a good job of uh, talking comics and film and, uh, and that's a lot, man. And no, uh, truly, I I really did enjoy Renato Jones. And uh, I, I strongly recommend it for it coming out on Wednesday. It is, as we said, hefty, but uh, worth the price. And uh, I, I really do think it, it is one of those comics that it's like, it's worth the investment. And you will know if you want to continue the story. My guess is you'll want to. And it's all because Kari Jones did, uh, he, he did it all for this thing, for Christ's sake, except for the lettering and editing. Nice going, man. Yeah, so, you know, pick it up and, and, give, it, and give it a try. I think it's going to be fun. It's like, um, it's... Uh... It's uh, you know, it's like it's like a big it's a big deal for me, like this thing that I just did. So it's fun that it's out there, and it's like a, it feels like a big milestone in my career. And uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I think it really is solid, and I'm I'm very glad that uh, you're you're on before it starts that we can I can you know legitimately endorse it and say yes, buy this thing. It's very very cool, and awesome. uh, I hope you'll come back and uh, touch base when you can talk about your TV stuff. Would love to. Excellent. And then really, as always, thanks for being as candid as you as you are talking about all this stuff. I think you're giving a lot of people uh, inspiration and things to think about. Inspiration and secret secret knowledge. And, uh, you know, that's why I like podcasts, because you get a little bit of both. <laughs> so I, try to, I try to do, you know, give people some secret information and, uh, you know, a little push to do, do the thing you need to do. Neat points of view and storytelling from Kari Andrews. Renato Jones, The One Percent, debuts Wednesday uh, from Image Comics. Check it out. It is a big comic book. It is worth your attention. And truly, I fully endorse this uh, new series. I think it's going to be fantastic. And looking forward to uh, Kari's uh, TV directing debuts. So that should be fun. Always good talking to Kari Andrews here on Word Balloon. And yes, I really am a Tegan and Sarah fan. And uh, yes, but it was her still alive 
with Jonathan Colton. I'll even put the video up on wordballoon.com so you can see what I'm talking about. But I hope you enjoyed today's show. It was brought to you exclusively by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thanks a lot, everybody, for your support. It really does mean a lot. Word Balloon's uh, anniversary is coming up, actually, in about a week, uh, May 10th, and it'll be uh, 11 for a Word Balloon. Pretty cool. Starting our 12th year uh, moving forward. May is great. Uh, you saw how jam-packed April was. May is already the same, and literally I'm telling you this on the second day of, the, of May. But uh, very jam-packed month. I'm going to do what I can. There might be more solo shows, uh, but expect a lot of episodes this month right here at wordballoon.com. Don't forget we're also on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes, of course. Uh, Stitcher. Doing what I can to get on Google Play as well uh, very soon. But uh, you can find Word Balloon and pass it along to your friends and let them know, hey, neat stuff happens here, especially if they're ambitious, want to be uh, comic book artists or writers, and they'll get advice like uh, Kari gave us today, too. So thanks a lot for listening. Looking forward to talking to you again in just a couple days. Keep looking at WordBalloon.com and my Twitter feed, at JohnWordBalloon, and on Facebook, and I'll let you know what's going on. But it's going to be a great May. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.